Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. I'm a psychoanalyst and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel great in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. Today, I'm going to answer your questions about food, weight, body image, binging, emotional eating, or anything that is weighing on you or eating at you. Because the real problem with binge eating, stress eating, any kind of emotional eating, the real problem is not food. It's not what you are eating that is the problem, it's what's eating at you. And today we're going to talk about all of that, including questions like, why do I, why do I only binge at night? Um, what's the difference between binge eating and overeating? How do I manage cravings and food triggers? And another uh, similar question, are, are there any foods that I should avoid to prevent binge eating. I am going to be answering your questions. If you would like to call the show and talk to me about what's eating at you or weighing on you or anything else on your mind, the number here is 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. I would love to hear from you and help you take that Step on the road to total liberation from binge eating or emotional eating. Okay, so first question, and many, many people have basically asked each of these questions, so I'm not going to say who in particular asked the question because these are these are questions that I get multiples of. So essentially, you know, why do diets fail? Why do diets fail? So diets fail because on some level they are about deprivation and that always leads to overeating or binge eating. There is a reason it is called the diet binge cycle. Why? Because the anticipation of not being able to have what you want will only make you want it more. When we tell ourselves, up, oh, a diet is eat this but not that. When we tell ourselves, I can't have that, we want it more. And then when we have the chance to actually eat it, we often end up binging on it or overeating it. And then we think, well, I've already blown it. I ate, you know, I ate cake. I might as well have all the cake. And while I'm at it, I might as well also have the cookies, the ice cream, the the French fries, the chips, the whatever it is that are that's on your forbidden food list. And then you have uh, basically a binge. Also, if you're dieting and you're thinking all day about not having pizza, for example, then you've got pizza on your mind all day, and that puts the focus on the wrong thing, which is what you are eating instead of why you are eating. So diets actually do work until you go off of them, and no diet is sustainable forever. And ultimately, they kill your mood, your spirit, your sense of enjoyment of life, your self-image. Uh, uh, Taryn Brumfit, who is a, an activist who did a documentary called Embrace, she said, never trust a four-letter word where the first three letters spell die, right? There you have it. Um, 
so diets basically fail for both physiological and psychological reasons. So physiologically, as you know, diets are often restrictive, which leads to hunger and also slows your metabolism. And when you don't have enough calories, your body goes into basically starvation mode. It's your metabolism slows down. Fewer calories are coming in, so your metabolism becomes much more efficient, requiring fewer calories to just keep your blood flowing and your heart beating and your organs working and all, you know, everything that keeps us alive that we need nutrients. And then because your metabolism slows, when you go off the diet, you gain weight because now your your body needs fewer calories just for maintenance. It is a vicious, horrible cycle. You you go on a diet to lose weight, you lose weight, but then it's easier to gain weight. And so essentially dieting makes you gain weight more easily. How about that? And by the way, listen, the diet industry is a $60 billion industry. The diet industry is very much invested in having you continue to diet. The diet industry does not want you to, oh, uh, you know, go on a diet, lose weight, feel good, and you're done. No, they need you to be a repeat customer. And this is part of why that happens. Now, in terms of the psychology of eating, which is my area of expertise, ultimately diets fail because they only deal with food. Again, they focus on what you are eating and not why. They don't address the underlying conflicts, emotions, situations, whatever, that make you want to turn to food in the first place. And there are many reasons for that, ranging from using food for comfort, for distraction, to go numb, to uh, symbolically fill a void or to express pain as when people unconsciously uh, they convert emotional pain to physical pain. They eat so much that it hurts. And now they're feeling pain in their body instead of you know, pain in their heart. Um, so the cycle of losing weight by dieting and then regaining weight also causes frustration, anxiety, a sense of powerlessness over your own body. And, and a feeling of failure. It's so frustrating. It's so debilitating. It's so awful. And then, so you're, you feel bad because you, you, you're dieting, you're deprived, you went off the diet, you feel bad about yourself, you're frustrated, you're anxious. And if you don't have a reliable way to cope with those feelings, then food, by the way, is a coping strategy. It takes you away. It numbs, it comforts, it soothes all the things. So, in that case, the the because food is a way of dealing with painful feelings, the painful and upsetting experience of dieting can actually lead to overeating or binge eating. And dieting, it keeps you in this battle with yourself. It keeps you feeling bad about yourself. And in my experience of over 20 years as an eating disorder specialist, as a, as a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst specializing in eating disorders, primarily binge eating um, and, and bulimia, but ma mainly binge eating, when, when people stop dieting 
and they start tuning into their thoughts, their emotions, their needs, and their wants, and they start attending to other areas of their lives. They start developing an appetite for life and a way to uh, connect with themselves and other people. And they start taking care of themselves in a new way. Guess what? They lose weight naturally without dieting because they have made peace with themselves. They've found new ways of soothing themselves, new ways of nurturing themselves, new ways of comforting themselves involving words, not comfort food. And when you do that, you stop needing food as a source of comfort, and then you can lose weight um, if, if that's what you want. Because by the way, not everyone who struggles with binge eating needs or wants to lose weight, but it happens, most do, but that happens organically. And that is why, many, many reasons why diets don't work in the long run. They are a temporary measure. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, another question, what is the single most important thing you can do to make peace with food? Just one thing. Um, I think the one thing, and I, and I just said it, by you got to make peace with yourself. To, to make peace with, with food, you got to make peace with yourself. What does that mean? It means accepting yourself like your whole self and learning a new way of responding to yourself. And this brings up the idea of what is your self. So when you think of yourself, what do you think of? Because let me tell you about this woman that I encountered who, um, well, let me just tell you the story, right? So, so she described herself as the queen of self-care. She's like, I'm the queen of self-care. And she got facials every month. She got her nails done every two weeks. She got massages. She got all the hair blown out, all the things. And she couldn't understand why she still felt so bad about herself when, according to her, she was practicing such excellent self-care, taking such good care of herself. I told her that she was taking great care. I mean, like super great care of her body. Absolutely. She was taking great care of her physical self. I said, but that's not self-care. That's grooming. So I would say to you, as I said to her, by, by, by the way, what did she say? She said, well, what other self is there? For her, her physical self was the only self that existed for her, but we are so much more than our bodies. So do not make your appearance and your weight the, the barometer of your self-worth. You know, you have a body. It does not define you. You also have a mind, a soul, a brain. You have intellectual parts of yourself, emotional parts, relational, creative, maybe spiritual, all, all different parts of you that make you yourself. So start thinking about, well, how do you describe your friends? When's the last time you said, wow, um, you know, I really like my friend, but uh, if she just lost 10, 20, 50 pounds, I would like her so much better. Never. And yet that is the way that we think about ourselves. We think we have to get to some 
weight on the bathroom scale. We have to get to some some size. We have to get we have to change our bodies in order to be acceptable, likable, lovable. But our bodies are just one part of who we are. And when we can treat ourselves the way we treat our friends, we don't look at our friends as just a number on the scale. We look at our friends as whole people. So you know, the bottom line is you cannot measure your true value on a bathroom scale. And here's here's something I, I hear in, in counterpoint to that. People say things like, ah, I know that already. I know I'm a good person. I know I have nice eyes and my hair is good and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't make me feel better about myself. And that's when I say to people, well, you know, why do you like other people? Do you like other people because they're thin? And they're always like, no, of course not. Right? No one has ever, as I said before, said I'd really like my friends better if they dropped a few pounds. Or I like so-and-so because she is so thin. Oh, yeah. She's my friend because she is skinny. Said nobody ever. I'm fairly certain you love your friends because they're they're nice they're fun they're funny they're supportive they're warm great people they're great people all parts of them and you know what so are you and when you give all aspects of yourself equal weight pardon the expression um you feel better about yourself. And when you feel better about yourself, you are less likely to try to escape yourself through eating, binging, stress eating, all of those things. These are all self-abandonment, self-escapes. When you're there for yourself, you are your own best friend. And you can make yourself feel better. You can support and encourage yourself. That is better than any cake or pizza or anything that you're using to go numb or comfort or escape. And by the way, when you accept yourself, it is a lot easier to imagine that other people accept you too. When you are toxic to yourself, when you're judgmental and you're critical of yourself, and you meet someone who is critical and judgmental to you, you'll say, oh, wow, like this feels so familiar. It's like you know me so well. Like, let's be together. Let's be friends. Let's date. Let's whatever. Like, I can intolerate this. It's so familiar. But when, but when you're kind to yourself and supportive and nice and encouraging, and someone comes along and they're judgmental and critical, Oh, no, no, no. You will not be tolerating that. Then it's, uh-uh. No, no. Not for me. No, thank you. Delete. That's why our relationship with ourselves is everything. It has everything to do with our relationship with food and with other people. And by the way, when you can have nurturing, mutual, healthy relationships with other people, then you you can have fulfilling relationships with them instead of filling up with food. See how that works? So when you stop battling your needs, your wants, your emotions, whatever is going on inside you, your healthy relationship with yourself will be reflected in your relationship with food. That is really how it works. Okay.
see. Uh, here's a good one. And and by the way, I invite you again, if you would like to talk with me, if you have anything on your mind, if you have a question, call me. I'm easy to talk with. 866-472-5792 is the number here in the studio. Let's talk, just you and me. Let's figure this out. Let's be detectives of your mind and let me help you solve the mystery of whatever is going on with you. All right, so here's the good one. Here's the, here's, this is the question I get so much of. How can I get more willpower? I just need more willpower. This is often uh, in relationship with uh, questions such as, I, I, I'm a food addict, I need more willpower. Well, changing behavior is not about willpower. If you don't address the underlying, the underlying reasons for why you are turning to, to food, it is really difficult to stop. Remember, if you're turning to food, it's for one of three reasons. Reason number one, you are not eating enough and you are ravenous. And when you start eating, you just can't stop. This is very true of people who don't eat all day long and then they get home and at night they cannot stay out of the kitchen because they are so hungry and deprived. So that's more of, that's mostly physical. You get so starving that you cannot stop. It's hard to have willpower when you are ravenous. Like our body, our bodies are built to over, overcome willpower because our bodies are like, feed me now. Another reason for binging is deprivation. As I was talking about before, in terms of the dieting, deprivation only makes you want something more. If, if you tell yourself you can't have X, then you are going to want X, right? If you can have it anytime you want, well, then you can make a choice. The, the, the problem is we've been so conditioned by diet mentality of this food is good and this food is bad, which becomes the, you're, you're good if you eat salads and you're bad if you eat ice cream, that w it's really hard to give yourself true permission. And one of the things I'm really proud about as a mom is that when I raised my girls, I would, if, if they were hungry, I'd say, well, do you want some you know, do you, do you want some celery and carrots and hummus or do you want some cookies? Do you want a banana with peanut butter or do you want some ice cream? Do you want, like, so I would, I would offer them different, like, like a healthy food and an unhealthy food. And because for them, there was no uh, deprivation. It wasn't like, ooh, I better have that ice cream because otherwise, uh, you know, it, it, I'm not going to have it or ooh, it's a treat or anything like that. It, it was just neutral. It was just food. And they were able to really tune into what did their bodies want. And so sometimes they would say, you know what? I want the banana. I want the, the carrots and, and hummus. And sometimes they would say, I want the ice cream. But because they could have ice cream or, or cookies or whatever anytime they wanted, they could choose whether they wanted it or not. And, and when they had it, they did not overdo it. And the, the classic example is some years ago when, when we were trick-or-treating for Halloween 
And my daughter had literally a king size like pillowcase full of candy. And we were with her friend whose parents were the, the people who say, oh, you know, when you're done trick-or-treating, we're going to confiscate your candy and we're going to go through it and we're going to give you two pieces a day and dole it out from here until next Halloween, probably. So what was that? That was that was deprivation right there. So what was my daughter's friend doing the whole time that she was trick-or-treating? She was sneaking candy. She must have had 20 pieces of candy just sneaking it because she 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 knew it was going to be taken away from her. At one point in the evening, my daughter said, oh, I'm so hungry. And my husband said, you have an entire pillowcase full, king-size pillowcase full of candy. Have some of that. We were in a place where there were no restaurants. And she said, oh, dad, I don't want candy. I want real food. Oh, such a proud moment for me because she was really just embodying the idea of intuitive eating. She knew her body wanted real food. She didn't want candy. She could have the candy because she could have the candy. She decided she didn't want the candy. Um, so reason number one for, for um, binging is if you're so ravenous that you cannot stop eating. Reason number two is uh, deprivation, which dieting is a big culprit for that can't have it, so you want it more. Reason number three has to do with binge eating disorder, which is when you are using food to cope, to resolve something emotional, whether you are eating for comfort or distraction, to go numb, to reward yourself, to fill the void, to turn emotional pain to physical pain, whatever the reason is. And by the way, when I say all of these things, it's not like you're aware of it. You may be aware you're eating for comfort, um, but you're not, you're not, say, no one's saying to themselves, you know, I really feel an emptiness within and it's quite unbearable. So I will symbolically fill it with food and nothing seems to be enough. So I'm just going to keep going. Or Yes, I, I'm in pain. I'm eating so much and I can't stop because, you know, I'm really actually converting my emotional pain to physical pain. Nobody ever says that. You don't even think it. It's out of your awareness, unconscious, hidden from you. But my job as a psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst coach, because I'm both, is to help you recognize like the hidden why you are turning to food. It is a coping mechanism. It is not, oh, you're a mentally, you know, you have a mental health issue. No, you have a very negative coping strategy. You're coping in some way. It is a frenemy. It, it is a friend. It helps you cope. And it is an enemy because it doesn't solve the problem and it doesn't help you. And it just really diminishes your sense of self and self-esteem. So forget willpower. Because willpower is basic. Oh, we have a caller. Hi, Jenny from Los Angeles. Welcome. Thank you so much for calling the show. You are officially my first caller. In um, oh, the, wow. the yes, I started the I started this show in July, and this is my first show where I'm inviting guests to call in. So I'm so glad you did. Welcome. 
Well, thank you. It's so good to talk to you, Dr. Nina. I appreciate you taking my call. And I feel I feel honored <laughs> to be the first caller. How can I help you? What is what is on your mind? Well, I've been I've been listening to you, obviously, and um and and in the past twenty minutes you've really hit on some stuff for me. I've been noticing um in the past couple years more and more that the root cause of well many of my issues um uh are uh, stemming from um my mother and the way she treats me um and um you know she's just very needy and demanding and she can be kind too but it's just you know those times uh, where she you know, doesn't appreciate me and she acts very entitled, really bother me. And it, and it definitely, um, has been going on longer than I, than I had realized. It's like, kind of like it's, it's been an epiphany for me thinking back now. Oh, well, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, how, how I go about Little by little, trying to deal and heal, deal and heal, you know. (laughs) Deal and heal. Well, dealing leads to healing. First of all, Jenny, I am so sorry that you um, are 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 have a mother like that because that's very painful and distressing. And uh, secondly, good for you for recognizing it's it's hard to recognize when we have. parents that aren't taking care of us and maybe want us Mm -hmm. to take care of them when they have reversed roles. There's something called, you know, being a parentified child, which, which means Mm -hmm. that you as the child of any age, take care of the parent who has never probably taken care of you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The parentified child for sure and by the way how this can relate to issues with food is mothers you know represent um maternal relationship is is kind of bound up with food when we're babies and we're being held in someone's arms and you know, we're they're looking lovingly down upon us, and we're 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 held, we're cozy, we're in a blanket. Everything is sort of blissful, and that experience is bound up with the experience of being fed. So, in our psyche, um, mm-hmm. being fed equal food equals relationship. Not, not that we consciously think of it that way. So that's just you know, if you have a hunger for mothering, um. A person with a hunger for mothering can end up with being hungry for food when they can't get the mothering. But your question has to do with, how, you know, what do you do once you realize that you are in this situation? So mm-hmm. the most, yeah, the most important thing you can yeah. do is to start think thinking mm-hmm. of small ways in which you can set boundaries. How hard is it for you to say no to this mother? Very yeah. Why? I don't know. What 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 is your what is your conflict about saying no? What do you think you're doing to her? Uh, I I think, and you can tell me, you know, um, if I'm on the right track or not. But um, I 
I am constantly trying to please her. I just want her, I just want to make her happy or at least not unhappy. And it's very hard. And so, you know, when she needs something, which is very often, quite often, and it's something that I can do, I, I do it just so that I can, you know, I can, uh, you know, try to make her happy and, and then maybe get like a thank you or a, you know. Do you ever get a thank, do you ever get a thank you? I do sometimes get a thank you and it's nice, but it's not all the time. You know, and it if you on don't, mood. if you don't make her happy, what are you doing to her? Um, I'm, I'm, con- I, I feel like she, if I don't make her happy, then she's going to, you know, continue on this path of unhappiness, which is really hard to deal with. So you are responsible for her happiness. Yeah. And she, <laughs> exactly. you know what you, you know what you sound like? You sound like a mother with a six month old baby who just wants to make mm. the baby happy. And I feel and, like a mother with a little baby. Yeah. That's yeah. true. I've said that before. Yeah. So b- because there's, there's some dynamic that's getting activated between you and your mom that probably has to do with her past Maybe she mm, didn't get an, yeah. enough of something, and so she's trying to get it through you rather yeah. than g- give yeah. it to herself. Okay, so that resonates. Yeah. All right. Yes. So for so you are more invested in her happiness than in your own. Yes. In fact, I I feel like sometimes when I really you know think about it the reason why I still haven't had children is because I am already, I already feel like exhausted. Like I'm a parent. Like I, I need, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, you, it's interesting well, when I, when well, I think, you are. when I think about it. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, it, this is what's popping in my mind as you're talking. And then I have some, some possible solutions for you. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's like when you're when you're a little kid and you I mean in an ideal situation and a little kid comes home from school and mom's like how was school and how are you and how are your friends and asking all about the kid and the kid's day and what's going on the mother does not expect the the child to say and mom how was your day how are you doing and thank you so you know thank you so much for all you do that is appropriate mm-hmm. in childhood. It is appropriate when you have a six-month-old baby to be always concerned about what the baby's cries mean. Those are the only ways that the baby has to communicate is by crying. And so, yes, you have to be very attentive. But when a person is an adult baby, something else is going on and now, you know, you, your mom is putting you in the position of being her mom, but she's acting like a baby. So mm. the more the more that you do it, the more you reinforce it, and and the more that you reinforce it, the less 
nothing will ever change. So to Yeah, I know I'm like an enabler for sure. Because it sounds like perhaps <laughs> your sympathies are with your mother. Like you're identified with your poor mother who's not getting her needs met instead of with yourself who's not getting your needs met. You're not getting a mother. Right? You're you're yeah. you're, you're identified with her and and what what she wants and feels and needs not with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Okay. What's it like to talk about this by the way? Um I feel I feel relieved in on and you know, on one side I feel relieved, but then it it's also very stressful. Like I feel already like starting to sweat just talking about it. Okay. Um, but then it, it is a it is it is a relief to get it off my chest, and then to to like to remind myself. You're reminding me I need to set boundaries. I need to yes. give my. I, I need to think more about my self care. You know, um, so it's nice to have that reminder as well. Yeah, and the reason, like you know what to do. You know, you don't need me to say. Hey, Jenny, I think perhaps boundaries are in order. It's not like you're, oh, mm -hmm. news to me. Like, wow, I never thought yeah. of that. The, so the question yeah. is, why are you not allowing yourself to be a priority? And it's, it's, it sounds like it is because you are stuck in this dynamic with your mom where she takes mm -hmm. and you give. And you're afraid to stop giving because then she's going to feel bad. So you're yeah. more worried about her feeling bad than it, than you are about you feeling bad. So to really yeah. work on giving yourself a, a, a bill of rights, you know, the yeah. right to have rights and the bill of rights include, you know, I get to t take some of my time and energy for myself and not give everything to my mother or, you know, what would be on your bill of rights? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, the, what I, what I struggle with, I think, I think, and, and, um, you tell me if, you know, if, if this is, this makes sense to you, but like, I struggle with guilt. Like if I don't help her or do for her or whatever, I feel horrible guilt. And then I take that with me through my day. So then I, I just like, I obsess about it. You know, I obsess about it. Like, you know, that I can't help her with her cable or whatever stupid things she asked me to do, you know, just these minimal things. And then my whole day is like ruined because I, I have this like feeling of guilt. And then when I say no to her or I'm like, I'm busy and, you know, she gets irritated and she's like, Rah, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm busy. I can't help you call, you know, the geek squad or whatever to help you with your cable. Then I feel like, oh my God, what if she's gonna, what if she dies tomorrow? And the last thing I said to her, <laughs> or I didn't help her. So there's a lot of guilt, and I don't yeah. know where exactly that comes from, but it doesn't happen so often with anyone else or anything else except for, for her. Which makes me think so, of two things. Which makes me think of two yeah. things. So for, first of all, what you're describing is what's called self-guilt. There are different kinds yeah. of guilt. Self-guilt is when you feel guilty for having a self, for having any needs, any wants of your own, especially if mm -hmm. they may conflict with the wishes of other unreasonable, in this case, people. Uh, yeah, that makes so, sense. Okay. 
Yeah. So self guilt is, but remember, we feel guilty for what we are, what we think we're doing wrong, or we feel guilty for 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 what we when we don't do something we should do. But yeah, the 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 standard is that she's the six month old baby and you're her mom, and that's how it's supposed to be. But but that's not like you know, she's not a six month old baby. So we want to mm-hmm. challenge some of the the ideas behind this self guilt. The other part of it, you said something interesting, which is you said you don't feel this way with anybody else. Obviously, you don't have this relationship with anybody else, but sometimes when we feel a particularly strong feeling with someone else, we may be feeling what they cannot feel themselves on some Mm -hmm. level. Unconsciously, it is possible that she feels guilty because she knows on some level this is inappropriate. On some Mm -hmm. level, it it doesn't stop her from doesn't rise to consciousness, and it doesn't stop her from acting in this way. But on some level, she knows that what she's doing is wrong. She is using her daughter as a mother, and. Yeah. thinking that you should be there for her at all times like she's a like she's an infant and yeah. but she can't get in touch with that guilt and so then mm-hmm. it gets projected and there's something interesting called gosh I'm I'm doing some deep diving psychoanalytic stuff mm-hmm. today but here yeah. it is I I can't unhear it yeah. something called a, a projective identification, which means you identify with the disavowed projected parts of her. So you feel uh, the guilt. And I'll yeah. give you an example of, 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 I'll give you another example. Um, sometimes it's hard to see it when you, when you're in it, but it, yeah, it's very, so this, this an, analyst um, was seeing this woman for the first time and she was she was talking about the death of her child. She he had never met her before. This was the first time they were meeting. And she's talking about the death of her child as if she's talking about the weather. Absolutely, these mm-hmm. are the facts. This is what happened. This is how he died, etc. The analyst starts to feel this incredible, overwhelming, pervasive sense of pain and loss mm-hmm. he he she couldn't get in touch with it but it was there and like there's this you know there's this mechanism of projection he felt what she could not feel you are feeling possibly what your mother cannot feel and when when you can look at it that way and also challenge the idea that you are put on this earth to sacrifice yourself to set yourself on fires to keep your mother warm and give mm-hmm. yourself the right to have rights, mm-hmm. then in, instead of being depleted by this mother who's not a mother, she's a baby. She's a baby mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it's going to be easier for you to set those boundaries and to just occasionally not answer the phone, text her, I'm busy, just call Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And just start, yeah. just start to put in place though. And if you start feeling guilty, go like, oh, that's her guilt. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and start to put in place those small uh, boundaries saying no 
Saying no to your mother is saying yes to yourself. And that's essential because you've been saying no to yourself your whole life. Yes. Yeah. You, you're 100% right. This is very helpful. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, I know I can't change her. So, you know, I'm just like trying to do as much as I can to change me <laughs> because she's not going to change. That's for sure. Well, and that's a, like, that's a very healthy attitude. And start by giving yourself the right to be on this planet and have your own life instead of having to sacrifice yourself to make a, to make a very hungry baby happy. She's like she's mm-hmm. binging on you. That like that, that like she's binging on your time and your energy, and she's just like an emotional vampire, and she's sucking you dry. Is the feeling I get as we talk? Yeah, it's exhausting. It is, and it's truly exhausting when no no matter what you do or how much you help or whatever, you you cannot make this person happy. They're still miserable. <laughs> That's what's so frustrating. You know, and um, and what and give up the idea so you have an yeah. illusion that if you just do this, then she'll be happy. But yeah. she's she's weaponized unhappiness. Look at what it gets yeah. her. Look yeah. at how powerful her un, unhappiness is. She's got it's you very, wound very around her finger. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Well, thank it's you. hard I, I on do you. Appreciate you know, yeah. I do appreciate the advice and, and you know, um, everything you said makes total sense. It's, you know, I definitely, it's like habitual. I start the boundaries and then I, you know, and then she sucks me back in and then I start the boundaries. I just have to, you know, I have to really, I have to break the habit. So. Yes. And remember, she's doing this because of something in her own past. And she developed mm-hmm. this way of being in the world and being with you. But, yes. you know, that so the story that you've created of I must make my mother happy, otherwise, I'm depriving her terribly is a false narrative. She uses yeah. being, she uses unhappiness to manipulate people. Yeah, it's true. It so really she, is. And so then by feeding into that, she's never going to be happy. By setting the boundaries, she might, ha- she might have a chance to be happy because she might have to confront. I mean, she may never, but at least there's a chance. She may confront um, her own past or her own stuff or her own, like she might, she, if it doesn't work for her anymore, being unhappy, then she yeah. might try being happy. Occasionally. Yeah, I hope so. I really do. But ultimately, your happiness is important. You matter. You matter too. And that's Thank what you. I want you to hold hold in your heart and your head. Thank you, Dr. Nina. Thank you. Well, thank you for calling the show and being willing to 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 dive deep. One one thing about kind of analytic thinking is uh, it's uh, it's like deep. One of my patients said it's like deep diving to the bottom of the ocean where it's pitch black and you can't see a thing. You got to shine a light to see what's going on down there. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to <laughs> most therapy, which is sort of on the surface or snorkeling. So I yeah. want to acknowledge you for 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 deep diving with me, and hopefully we illuminated something for you. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate you, Dr. Nina. I do. You're, you're welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for calling in. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hmm. Oh, my heart goes out to Jenny. Um, you know, there, the, there is, there's, oh, well, I'm thinking of the oldest psychoanalytic joke in the world, which is if it's not one thing, it's your mother, right? But it's not just your mother. It's your, it's your father. It's your uncle. It's your grandparents. It's whatever. It's that we have unresolved relationships. And this is not about blaming this is about explaining. We have unresolved relationships that affect us and continue to affect us. And what really breaks my heart is Jenny saying she hadn't had kids yet because she she was so depleted by by being a mother to her mother. We we all have the right to have rights. So if Jenny's story in any way um, resonates with you. Think about what would be on your bill of rights, your own personal bill of rights. What are your rights? You are not put on this planet to make other people happy. That, That if you only give and they only take, you are depleted. If you are depleted, maybe the only thing that goes in, literally and figuratively, is food, which represents relationship. Ideally, we have mutuality, which is, you know, we give and receive, and people give to us and receive from us. That is a healthy relationship. Relationships where it's all, you know, they're all predicated on, I'll, I'll take care of you and meet all your needs, but there's no reciprocity. That is an unhealthy relationship, even if it's your relationship especially with it if it's your relationship with a parent. So again, Jenny, thank you so much for calling in. Okay, so um, getting back to the question about how do I get more willpower, I had discussed the reasons why we binge. So starving and ravenous, that once you start eating, you can't stop. Deprivation makes you want the thing that you can't have. And then because of all or nothing thinking, often we say, oh, I blew it. I might as well have all the things and that I can't have and I'll diet tomorrow. This, this often becomes the last supper mentality. I'm going to eat it all tonight, as much of it as I want. And then tomorrow I'm going to start that diet. And then, of course, we know how that goes. All right. And, but the third reason is that, that binging, when, it, when you are eating to resolve something emotional in some way, um, that is binge eating disorder, and it is a diagnosable, treatable condition, and it is a way of coping. And so, as you can see, it's not about willpower because the problem is not food. Food is the solution to the problem. You know, Jenny called and she talked about the problem, which is that she's got this mother who just is is like an emotional vampire, just sucking the life out of her. And she feels guilty about taking care of herself. That's the problem. And it may be more painful to think about the problem. It is more painful to think about the problem, 
the true root problem than it is to think about going on a diet, counting your calories, carbs, fat grams, doing all the things. It is easier to focus on what you are eating than on what is eating at you. But if you take the easy way out, you stay stuck in the, the, the diet binge cycle forever. I'm sorry to say forever. However, there is good news because if you have the courage to examine what is eating at you, what is going on with you, to identify that and to learn new ways of expressing your feelings and responding to yourself, then binge eating is, is gone for good. Then you're done. It's something that you used to do, but you don't do that anymore. And by the way, I am living proof that this is possible. Why did I become a psychoanalyst specializing in eating disorders? Because I was a person who had all eating disorders. And I would go on, I would restrict. I was always on some crazy restrictive diet. Eventually my willpower would fail because when it's when you're focusing on food, it is about willpower. And I'd eat the kitchen and you know how that goes. But when I was able to crack the code of emotional eating and realize, oh, no, actually, it's not even about food. Binge eating is not about food. It's about, it's a, it's a, it's a way of coping. When I develop new ways of coping, new ways of being with myself, new ways of responding to myself, everything changed for good. That is why I believe in liberation not recovery. Recovery is willpower. I'm going to be good today. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be good. And I'm going to, you know, go with my food plan and I'm going to think about it. Like, ugh, who wants to think about that all the time? I don't think you do. Don't you have a lot more on your mind to consider, to think about? I think so. Liberation is when you wake up and you think about your day, not your diet. And, and you say, wow, I used to struggle with binge eating, but I don't anymore. And I can eat whatever I want. I don't have to worry about it. I'm not eating, you know, tasteless, boring salads when I'm out with people and watching what I eat and then going home and eating all the pizza and hating myself. I'm free. Right? That is the essence of the binge cure, to think differently. It's not a Food is not the problem. It is the solution to the problem. To, to, to identify what is the problem. That's the hard part. What is the problem? Because often we get so quick at turning to food, we think we're being triggered by food. We think we're being, uh, you know, it's all about what we're eating. So it's really hard to identify what's going on, especially if it is hidden from you. But you know, when you're a detective of the mind, like I am, and if you're listening to this show, now you can be too. When you're a detective of the mind, you're going you're gonna to solve the mystery of why am I thinking about food? Why am I eating? What is going on with me? Oh, maybe you use the food mood formula that's in my book. Maybe you uh, talk about like, you know, think about, well, what was going on right before I started thinking about food? If I were not eating or thinking about food, what would be on my mind? What would be bothering me? 
when you start drilling down and identifying exactly what that is, then you know what you're dealing with. It's not about food. You identify the real problem. Then you express how you feel about it. And and expressing is not just, oh, I realized that I was very sad or "Mm, I realized I'm very angry. That is, that's identifying it. That's not expressing it. Expressing it is, oh, I was so sad. Oh, maybe even crying. Or, oh, I'm so pissed. Right? Uh, emotions are called feelings because we feel them in our bodies. We feel them. Um, and, uh, and then to uh, reassure ourselves. And that's the part where a lot of people get it wrong because they tell themselves, it's not so bad. I need to look on the bright side. I should be grateful for what I have. I shouldn't be worried about this, worrying about this and, th- and that kind of thing. Instead of saying, oh, yes. This is upsetting. Of course I feel this way. How could I not? I've been through a lot. I'm going to get through this too. Right now it sucks, but I'm going to be okay. How can I take my own side here? And when you can do that, guess what? Food becomes breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And by the way, my only food rule is it should be yummy. You can have that too. I promise you. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic and much more, be sure to get your copy of my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating, available on Amazon in all formats, including Audible if you want me to read it to you. Stay curious, not critical. I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.